Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Exodus. We are set to start chapter 4. So without further ado, what I want to do is just jump right into chapter 4. And we will do so by reading uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. So we have a lot to talk about this evening. So if you want to pull out your Bibles, and we will go ahead and start reading with chapter 4, verse 1. God giving Moses help for his mission, huh? Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and take it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, Put your hand back into your bosom. So he put his hand back into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or heed the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or heed your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it upon the dry ground and the water which you shall take from the Nile will become blood upon the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either heretofore or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, send, I pray, some other person. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, and behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take in your hand this rod with which you shall do the signs. Now, before we jump into the commentary for this evening, I do think it is important to remember that the Bible in its original setting did not have chapters and verses, right? It was the monks during the Middle Ages that put the stories to chapters and and lines to verses, right? Now, this is relevant to our study because up to this point, as we have discussed, there have been two important questions, huh? Who am I? 
And for all intents and purposes, who are you? <laughs> and it is on the heels of these questions that we get a third question in our uh, narrative this evening. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? Right? We might think that's a fair question. Well, really, when you look at it closely, this question appears to show no faith in God's assurances, the guarantee that he will be with him in his journey. From the words which follow this assurance, what do we know? Well, we know that Moses was not only told that the leaders of Israel will accept his leadership, but that it will all work out just as God has said. My dear friends, I made this point with Abraham, but I think it would behoove us to be mindful of, of the same point with Moses, which is their lack of faith. We are fickle by nature. This is why we needed the shepherd in Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Moses himself wrote this text, right? And God inspired him to make an account for his lack of faith because why? Well, we have all been there. I mean, really think about this. Have you ever had to face a group of skeptics and convince them that God sent you, let alone that you have been sent by someone based upon a conversation you had with a bush? I mean, think about that. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I find it easy to understand, at least on one level, why Moses feared that no one would believe his story. People don't stand around talking to bushes, and if they do, we think there is something very, very wrong with them. All right. That being said, I believe it is also important to recognize the graciousness of God, how God graciously deals with the weakness of Moses here. In response to his question, God grants Moses the ability to perform three signs. He didn't say, ah, Moses, man, I'm so fed up with you. Let me pick someone else out there. Uh, so-and-so, right? No. In response to his question, God grants Moses the ability to perform three signs. The first two were what? But on the spot at God's instruction, which I believe was to assure him that continual assurance. And the final sign, turning water from the Nile into blood, what but has to wait until he arrives in Egypt. So he's still calling for faith there, right? Look what I'm showing to you right now, the rod and, and the leprous hand. Now, you're going to have to wait for the third sign, okay? <laughs> Let the first two be enough for now. So he's still calling for faith. He gives them great gifts in these signs, but he's still calling for faith. And isn't this so true in our own journey of faith? He gives us great signs. And yet he's always calling for more faith, right? Now, what about the specific meaning of each sign? Well, in principle, the idea is for the Israelites, these signs would be visible evidence that God had appeared to Moses in the burning bush if they were to question why he might be talking to this bush, right? Would they refuse to believe the account of the burning bush? Let them see a shepherd's staff turned into a serpent and then transformed once again to the staff. Let them see a hand turned leprous and then restored. Is a burning bush that much harder to believe? I often say, you know, if you struggle to believe in the Eucharist, true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, 
Do you believe in the resurrection? What's the difference there? Huh? The Bible is different because it calls for faith. It's an altogether different kind of book because it's just not history. It's just not a story. It's both. But as it's both, it's a book that calls for faith. All right. Second, for the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, these signs were evidence of the finger of God, as we read it in the book of Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. Not only did they emphatically prove the existence of the God of the Hebrews, but clearly these signs give evidence of his superior power. More than this, these three signs were of a similar kind. How? Well, at the word of Moses, a staff could become a serpent. At the word of Moses, leprosy could be inflicted. At the word of Moses, water contaminated. There was not some dramatic pause between the command of Moses and the actual sign. What he said, well, immediately happened. Such immediacy, my friends, shows command. I think this is to be important. What Moses said happened right away. The signs were all what but plague-like. And certainly, from the Egyptian perspective, the Pharaoh would do well to take heed. He had been warned, not only of the power of God, but also of the nature of the divine judgment which he could and would inflict upon Egypt. Right? So these signs have various dimensions to them for sure. Now, before we move forward with our study, I do think we should hit the pause button and consider something we've already touched upon before, but you you see it play out, I think, in a more pronounced way, and that is uh, this mosaic typology. And by that I mean how Moses is a type of Christ. Remember what typology is, simply the study of types, the study of patterns how Christ is prefigured or anticipated in the Old Testament. There are many types of Christ. But really, Moses as a type of Christ is arguably the richest of them all. Moses escaped being killed as a baby when the decree of a king, that is, Pharaoh, had condemned all male infants to death. Christ escaped being killed as a baby when the decree of a king, that is, Herod, had condemned all male infants to death. Moses was not an Egyptian, but lived among Egyptians who preserved his life when an infant. Christ was not an Egyptian, but lived among Egyptians who preserved his life when an infant. Moses was raised with the legal right to become a king, but belonged to a nation. Israel oppressed by a pagan and foreign government, that is Egypt. Christ was raised with the legal right to become a king, but belonged to a nation, uh, Judah Israel, ruled by a pagan and foreign government, this time not Egypt, but Rome. Moses freed his people from slavery through a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year, Jesus freed his people from sin through his own blood, being the Lamb of God without blemish. Just as Moses came out of Egypt, Jesus returned out of Egypt. Just as Moses passed through the Red Sea, Jesus 
passed through the waters of baptism. Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. Moses fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Both are giving the law from a mountain, one at the service of the old covenant and the other at the service of the new covenant. And we can go on and on. But what about the three signs of Moses here in this text? Well, first, the rod. The rod, my friends, is a sign of the old covenant priesthood. The priesthood that would offer up a sacrificial lamb as a ransom for the chosen people that we just spoke of. Christ himself becomes the high priest who offers himself as a lamb of God for the ransom of mankind. Here, I might add, Christ seems to turn the serpent in the garden on his head as he emerges from a garden to reverse the the fortunes of fallen man, huh? Second, in the gospel accounts, do we not see Christ healing the leper and restoring the man with the withered hand? Third, how about Christ turning water into blood? Well, water into wine, which anticipates, right, Christ transforming the wine into his very blood. So rich stuff here. Don't you see the importance of typology? How you can garner on a deeper level the meaning of salvation history as you spend time with the sacred text. Very rich. What does Philip say to Nathaniel? We have found the fulfillment to the law of Moses. Uh, what is Jesus doing on the road to Emmaus? but revealing how he is a new Moses. What was he talking about? Well, probably some of the stuff we were just talking about. Those very specific parallels, which reveal the intelligible coordination of how God has worked in salvation history. Typology is pattern, my friends. In fact, typology comes from the Greek word typus, which means pattern. Incidentally, the word history comes from the Latin historia, which means to weave a pattern. If we are going to understand how God has woven his pattern of history, salvation history, we can only understand that by reading the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old. This is why St. Paul quotes the Old Testament over 500 times. Paul, formerly Saul, was the great pupil of the star rabbi, Rabbi Gamaliel, that we read about in Acts 5. You see, my friends, he knew the Old Testament well. So after he, that is, Paul sits down with Peter for 15 days, he begins to discern the deeper meaning of the old and how it points to Christ. Probably mindful of Christ's own words that we read of in John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because in them they bear witness to me. What Jesus is saying there, my friends, is, You search the Old Testament because in them they point to me. I am the fulfillment to the prophetic thrust of just not the Old Testament, but history itself. He fulfills and he transforms. And my friends, by participating in the life of God, as 2 Peter 1.4 reminds us, we share in that transformation. Amen? Amen. All right, so we have these three signs which point to Christ. And these three questions, too, right? Three is the the number of the evening, and that is fitting as it's the number of God. So we have these three signs and these three questions. 
Which lead, by the way, to an interesting statement and request, one on the heels of the other. What do I mean? Well, in verse 10, we read, but I am not eloquent. Oh, man. Have we been there before? But I am not eloquent. Moses, my friends, continues to dwell on his deficiency. Again, rather, rather than acting on the basis of faith, who the God is who commissioned him, Moses seems to be retreating on the pretext that he is quite simply not a gifted communicator. It's interesting because there might be some insight to gain if you were to go to Acts chapter 7, verses 21-22. What does Stephen have to say about Moses? Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was, get this, powerful in speech and action. Powerful in speech and action. Moses didn't have a speech problem. As maybe some might suppose, at least that's the inference here. Neither was he ungifted in speech. According to Stephen, Moses was, well, eloquent. I wonder if this is simply nothing more than fear. Moses is is not only doing a disservice to God, by refusing to believe him and obey in faith, but to himself. Moses should not trust in his own abilities, but neither should he deny the abilities which God has given him. Mea culpa. This is something on a personal level I find myself grappling with quite a bit. In the end, my friends, it's about how the Holy Spirit elevates, augments whatever gift you have to communicate the deep insights of God. It doesn't take letters next to your name necessarily to reveal the wonders of God. It takes being in the Spirit of God. And yeah, whatever God has given you by way of gift and talent, He will use. But if it's not in the Spirit, it's no good. And so I think you have uh, some of that going on there. Certainly fear. There seems to be a fear here. And yeah, I mean, the Lord's response when you go back into this text reveals his displeasure. And he more than just has the tone of rebuke. I mean, Moses is talking to his creator here. He is saying, in effect, God, I can't do what you asked because you didn't make me well enough. God reminds Moses that as his creator, he fashioned him precisely as he intended, and he was therefore fully able to carry out his commission. Again, commission coming from the Latin cum missio, to be sent with. To be sent with who? Well, God, right? The problem of what to say is one that the Lord will handle in due time. And and this is a very important aspect to this larger conversation because, yeah, we might be able to articulate some aspect of truth, but how do we know it's the truth that needs to be shared, right? I come on air here with an idea of what I want to say. And by the grace of God go I, often is the case that whatever I put together beforehand by way of bullet points Yeah, I mean, I'll stay with that to some degree, but I might stay with something longer as I'm led to stay with something longer. This is why it's always about being open to the Holy Spirit and ultimately 
entering into that dynamism of holy flexibility in what we say and how we say it. What did we read in Exodus 4, verse 12? That God will teach Moses what to say, and this is what we enter into. So while Moses is worrying about what he will say when he gets to Egypt, God is encouraging him to get going. Moses is probably looking too far down the path. Quite simply, God is saying, (laughs) your next step is to, well, take a step. Which then leads to his cry of distress, really. Please send someone else. Please send someone else. My friends, here is the bottom line. Moses did not want to go, right? And it is not that he lacks the assurance or the authority. He simply lacks the courage to act. And again, mea culpa, I get it. I get it. And we have to challenge ourselves with this. As I've already said, I mean, Moses was inspired to write this down because it ought to be an encouragement. Look at what Moses did. Look at who Moses is. We can become great in the greatness of God. Now, no reason is stated here as to why God should send someone else, because Moses is, well, quite simply, all out of excuses. And so he pleads with God for someone else to go. And now God is angry. We are not made aware into any kind of um, physical manifestations, if you will, in this text. But on some level, I think we would have to imagine that this scared Moses, how would we say today, half to death? (laughs) Can you imagine making God mad and then having to stare, stand there, faced with his anger? If Moses was afraid of the presence of God in the burning bush, as we read in in verse 6, one can well imagine the fear which Moses had at this point. You know, I have already referenced Abraham. And in our study of the book of Genesis, we engaged why Abraham is our father in faith. Not because he lacked faith. Again, this is the correlation to Moses. But because he trusted greatly. The Hebrew there is emunah. Firm response. Responsive listening. Faithfulness. You hardly see the word faith in the Old Testament, but what you see is faithfulness because the emunah, the faithfulness, is the response. It's just not enough to believe that God exists. It's in the who you believe, right? You believe in the God who is love, in the light of that truth. Faith, no, faithfulness. I firmly respond to the God who is love, who has not an iota of self-interestedness but is completely, utterly, absolutely disposed to my eternal good. That which is salvation, redemption, restoration. Hmm? And so this is what I put before you today. This is what's before Moses, to show faithfulness, to take that first step, which then leads to the next step, and so on and so forth. This is what we are to grapple with this evening as we reflect into this conversation, this dialogue, this give and take, this back and forth, this listen and response between Moses and God, the same kind of exchange that 
I dare say we have all experienced before. At least I have. <laughs> I have asked God that on more than one occasion. Why are you sending me? You know, <laughs> what's going on here? Send so-and-so or, you know, John Doe over there or Jane over here. God says, no, I'm sending you. And he says that to me as he would say it to you because he wants us to understand that only we in who we are as created in the image of likeness of God, only I, Joe Holcraft, can glorify God as Joe Holcraft can glorify God. No one else. There's only one Joe Holcraft, thank God. <laughs> Insert yourself into this reality. And when you do be mindful of something, that if you fail in your vocation, if I fail in my vocation, something will be lost in the beauty that is the mystical body of Christ. And I mean that definitively because if I don't fulfill my vocation, then a part, a portion of that mysterious beauty will be lost. Imagine the rainbow without one of those colors. Well, it just wouldn't be the same. Well, my friends, if the rainbow, the great sign that God gave to Noah is something of an illustration of what is beautiful, then be mindful of that. We have a color to add to the canvas of salvation history. And we add to that canvas. We add to that beauty by saying yes to God as only we can say yes to God. God has a plan for you. And that plan brings beauty to the mystical body of Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.